1: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
2: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Justin, thanks for joining us on today's show. Thanks for having me, Eric. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Influencer marketing is something that now is a no brainer for a lot of companies. Like that is something everyone talks about. The influencer buzzword gets thrown around a lot. But you really got started in this space in 2012. And that was still kind of early days uh, where people were starting to figure out this shift in marketing and, and perspective. So when you first stepped into marketing, how different was the landscape when you first dove in?
3: Oh, it was completely different. You know, back then it was. Primarily like mom blogs uh, yeah. were like all the rage uh, back in 2012. And uh, and then obviously as these other platforms um, started to gain in popularity, they became more relevant. Like Instagram. Now we have TikTok. Snapchat. Pretty relevant. A few years back, losing a little steam there. And yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. Twitch, YouTube, like you name it. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely shifted very much towards video, mm-hmm. I would say um from you know the early days of like you know being more focused on editorial um it kind of shifted from like editorial to like photographic to videographic right um and now we're going to the metaverse so
2: (laughs) yeah it's definitely shifted a lot obviously the landscape and and i know in the early days you could see companies trying to figure this out like you could see the the wheels turning of how do we leverage the popularity like you said like the, there's mom bloggers that were getting, you know, more views on their website than, you know, popular parenting magazines. There was, um, you know, people that were starting to gain success in the YouTube world. I mean, even long before that. And it seemed like there was that kind of connection point where it's like, okay, now how do we leverage this? How do the big companies like a Coca-Cola or a uh, a company like that start taking advantage? And it went a lot from aesthetic to being more the authentic, let's hop on a live or let's do a quick video talking about it. When you first stepped in that space, where did you first kind of tackle this topic? Like, how did you first start jumping into it?
3: Yeah. So originally, uh, Mark Hurley was a sharing tool. And hmm. uh, we had a bunch of code like on, on all these blog sites. So we were ingesting a lot of data. Uh, that's when I noticed, oh, wow, like, there are all these mom blogs that in like influencer marketing is starting to take off. Like, I, I could just see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have all this data and we're already like embedded on a bunch of these blogs. Uh, You know, it seemed like a pretty natural transition. And, you know, we've always been very like data focused. Um, You know, we were, we were collecting things like what people were copying and pasting and how far they were scrolling down the page uh, in order to uh, figure out like how many true like reads um, these posts were getting. So that technology translated really well to influencer marketing, so that brands could know exactly how people were engaging with the content with the branded content that uh, that these influencers were creating and then obviously, like as like Instagram gained in popularity and and these other various platforms, uh we started to build technology around tracking you know performance uh, you know on all these other platforms as well,
2: yeah, yeah, well, I mean there's obviously a lot of money being spent here. And fast forward to now, you know, like you mentioned, 2022, we're talking about the metaverse. We're talking about all these different uh, TikTok superstars that are landing, you know, crazy music deals. Like this is not, you know, it's not the wild West anymore. You know, this has kind of been that huge spike. And now there's this almost overpopulation uh, where, you know, you can't just be first, like you can't rely on that. So I how do you see a change now in how people are approaching uh, influencers specifically into marketing their brand? Uh, because again, it's not a novel thing now to have someone endorsing your product or doing a review, you know, how are people leveraging it and keeping it feeling authentic, you know, moving forward?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it just boils down to working with the right people. Um, um, like as, as cliche as that might sound like, you know, making sure that it's a good match uh you're basically hiring people to be spokespeople uh you know for you know your brand so it's important to pick people that live a lifestyle and that put out content that fits the ethos of the brand mm. uh, so that everything is in alignment and yeah and then just like enabling them to have creative flexibility and control mm without giving them too much to where it could take away from the messaging that the brand wants to put out. So it's like this, uh, yeah, it's, it's like a tightrope walk in, in a way. It's a balancing act.
2: Right. right. How do you go about really vetting that? Like, well, first of all, let me ask this for a lot of companies who are sitting here, you know, listening to this episode, there's a lot of founders, owners that have thought about this or like, how do we tap into this? You know, we're just dumping money on Facebook ads. Or we're doing all these traditional marketing efforts, you know, First of all, who is a good fit for this type of marketing, for reaching out to, you know, an influencer, paying them to do a post about the company as opposed to dumping money elsewhere. Um, And then beyond that, how do they go about starting to audit? Who would be a good fit to represent their brand, bringing their own unique voice while also not hurting what's already there, what brand, you know, awareness already is?
3: Yeah. So I mean, I think that the, the best categories for this that I've seen tended to be like products that you would find like in a Target or like, you know, mm-hmm. consumer packaged goods, fashion, beauty, like anything that is very like photogenic, right? Uh Works really well. Videos are great for demonstrations. You know, like I'm sure you've seen like all the makeup tutorials and stuff yeah. on YouTube, like. People like girls love that. I mean, well, everyone, right? Like, even yeah. like, you know, like all, all walks of life, right? Like, are, you know, that want to paint their faces, like, they will watch these videos and, uh, you know, and really, uh, you know, love it because they, they yeah. get all these creative ideas. So, yeah, I mean, I think it really shines in that category, in that consumer packaged goods category. I think B2B is a little tougher. You have to have more of like a PR kind of slant to mm-hmm. your strategy. Yeah, uh, You know, it's, it's not as straightforward as like sending them this awesome new product to try yeah. out and share with their followers. It's a little more involved. Um, typically, those products are more sophisticated and require a better understanding as to all sure. the intricacies. So, yeah. That's my long-winded answer. Did I did I answer your question?
2: Oh. Yeah, no, definitely. Because that's one thing, like, I hear people talk about it. You know, when I'm working with people on their branding, you know, there's a lot of people that start talking, like, oh, if we could get so-and-so to post about this, you know, and that's typically the extent of the knowledge going into it is like, oh, if we could get so-and-so to post about it, it's going to blow us up, you know, or it's going to do do really well, but it's not a good fit for every company. Um, so I was curious what your perspective was on who should be looking into it. Uh, but that that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned a tightrope, and I think this is a really good analogy because you'll see it like, I mean, customers are brutal, especially now. Like I said, there's this grace period, I think when things start, where like, you know, in the early days of this, and I did some of these posts, like I would get sponsored to do some posts. You take a nice picture, you know, on your counter of here's this grocery item or here's this, whatever it was. And, you know, people didn't say anything about it, you know, like they would be like, oh, that's cool. Or that's awesome. I'll check it out. And now, because it's so saturated, you know there, you'll see companies where they'll hire an influencer on a TikTok to do a video about a product, or they'll do a they'll do some kind of post on Instagram. And people will, you know, if it, if it feels disingenuous to who that person is, or if it feels like it's you know heavily sponsored or or, or controlled by the company that put it out, uh, you'll see that lashback of like, you know, oh, you're a sellout, or oh, this is you can tell there's a brand writing this, or you can tell you don't really use this product. Um, what are some ways that companies face plant when they step into this world and uh, where they can fall off one side or the other?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, like about the fact that if it sounds like the brand wrote everything, uh, then most likely that's what happened. And it's yeah. pretty obvious and it's disingenuous, right? right. So yeah, I think uh, pr- providing like that creative flexibility and control that I that I mentioned earlier, like I think is super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, for brand to stands, I mean, you're you're hiring these people because they got famous creating content for their audience that they've built, right. right? So they are uniquely positioned to, you know, be able to come up with the best ideas to entertain their audience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're your they're your marketer. <laughs> they're the person you went to them for something, and that's that's something I always find interesting is when you see someone who has a following that they built because they're creative or they're, you know, they have some talent or they've got some brand and then you see someone come in and kind of strangle out that creativity. You know, it's like why did you yeah. go to them in the first place? What was that what was that initial spark there? So let, let's dive a little bit into uh into markerly and how you equip I mean on both sides the influencer side and the company that's looking to run a campaign, how are you helping them kind of navigate this? Because obviously you're not new to this. It's been almost a decade. Uh, What are the steps you're taking to kind of help these companies find a good fit and uh, make sure it's successful for everyone?
3: Yeah. So we have a, a very comprehensive approach and typically people come to us when they want to scale efforts. So like, if you just want to activate like a couple people here and there, like, you know, by all means, like I think it's better to just do it internally But when you get to a point to where it's like, oh, wow, like i have to hire like three people or four people to do what I want to do with my influencer strategy, then, Mm. you know, it's either that it's either like we got to commit to hiring a bunch of people or let's get an agency that's been doing this for a long time Mm. to do it for us. Um, And that's really where we shine. Um, And we help with everything across the board. So, I mean, obviously, it starts with strategy. Like, what are we trying to do? Uh, what are some, you know, creative ideas that we can come up with as far as thought starters for the influencers, um, just to get them going, you know, so that's, that's the first step. Then it's, you know, identification, like finding all the right people, yeah. uh, and, uh, doing the outreach, right. And, uh, making sure that everyone's on the same page, um, you know, finding those gems essentially, like who's yeah. gonna, who's to, who like might only have 50,000 followers now, but is going to have a million next year. That this brand really needs to work with, you know, before their competitors
2: do, right? Um, I, yeah, I love that you brought that up, but because this is something too. Like, I think what people focus on numbers wise, I see this in the podcasting world, which is my neck of the woods. Is like, you know, we'll work with people who are disappointed that they're not hitting those million downloads a month. You know, they're not hitting that whatever that the number is they put in their mind as being a success. But it's good to have a really niche audience, maybe 20,000 people or 30,000 people or 10,000 or a few hundred people that really believe your message. Like that can be a lot more beneficial than a million people that are casually checking something out. You know, can you talk a little bit about that, about the perspective of niches and like what qualifies someone when you're looking at someone, it's not just, oh, how many downloads or or followers do they have? You know, how do, how much of a role does that niche play into it?
3: Yeah, so good question. I mean, you want to look at uh the types of people that they create content for, right? Cuz that's that's your audience. That's who you'd be, you know, having them create content for. So if that doesn't align with, you know, the uh target market of the brand, yeah. then, you know, then you got to, you know, find someone else. And then let's say the demographic is perfect. It's like the best demographic ever fits the target market perfectly, then you have to look at uh you know, is the influencer uh, creating content that is aligned with like the, the personality of the brand, right? Mm-hmm. Does, does that match? Cause that's important. Has this person uh, or their followers ever expressed interest in a product like this in the past? Like, cause that helps, right? If, mm-hmm. if they've been looking for something like this, or if they've used the product, like an influencer that has been regularly using your product, uh, that's the best because you know they're a customer and that's the most authentic that you can get right it's like someone that loves the product uh but you know before you even reach out to them and mm-hmm. they're like oh my god i use this every day like that's the best um, yeah. because they're going to be able to they, they they're going to understand the product and all the benefits associated they're going to know how to communicate that to their audience and uh and it's all authentic it's all genuine that's obviously the best but not everyone, you know, will have tried your product when you reach out to them. And that's fine. Uh, as long as you think they would like your product. And if you send it to them and they do like it, and it is something that they might want to share with their audience, you know, that's important, right? Rather mm-hmm. than just saying, hey, I'll pay you to share this with your audience. Like, yeah, it's it's important to feel them out. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, is this something you, you think your audience would like? Do you like this? Would you use this? Because I'm really looking for partners that, you know, are really, you know, aligned with our mission or that understand our products or that feel that they're, that our products would be a great fit for them and their audience. Right. Like that helps you kind of nudge towards that more authentic, authentic, you know, kind of like place that you want to be in the campaign.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And then once all of that is aligned, right. Then you have to look at like, okay, what are their engagement mm-hmm. rates? Like, do they have a billion followers, but only get like 10 likes on posts? Like there's something <laughs> yeah. wrong there. So that's important. And then price, obviously, like, are they charging $10 million for a post? and They only have 20,000 followers. Well, it doesn't matter if their (laughs) engagement rates are like off the charts, Um, you you know, like the cost for engagement might be cost prohibitive. So once all that aligns and you you like the engagement rates, you like the followership, you like the price, and then all the other stuff that I mentioned before, uh, all that's lining up well, then you have a match. Yeah, (laughs) that's my long winded answer.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think that's really really important, and and when it comes to measuring the success of one of these campaigns, because it, one of the things you hear a lot when you sit in a, a business meeting with somebody, you know, it's hard to measure the ROI of social media. You know, sometimes people will throw that out, and the, and to some level that's true. Uh, but when you're measuring the success of one of these campaigns, I'm sure you can't just go to a company and say, well, it's hard to measure the ROI of uh, you know a social media post. Uh, how do you measure success? Is it purely post and how many sales it generates? Is Is there a strategy for like long-term brand awareness? Like, what are you looking for uh, overall?
3: Yeah. So it really depends on what the brand wants to accomplish, right? Like, uh, of course, like sales at the end of the day are like, you know, usually, usually businesses are in the,
2: you know, they're in business. The money making business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So that's obviously important, but you also want to play the long game. Like you can find people that if they post, you'll get a bunch of sales. Right. But you also want to look at like the content value. Right. Mm. Like because uh, a lot of times you can get influencers to create high quality content because like a lot of influencers now, like they have, you know, cinematic cameras yeah. and, you know, top of the line recording equipment. Like so you can hire an influencer in many cases to create like really amazing content at a fraction of the cost that it might cost, you know, to hire a production studio yeah. to create the same kind of content, and then you also get their audience with it, and right. you have the ability to repurpose the content. So I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, forget about you know the the value of that content and mm. the uh, the evergreen kind of like value that you can get out of it, right? right? And then, yeah, I mean, you 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 can look at engagement rates, um, a lot of very large companies, they know, like, if we get on average, this many likes on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, like, we're going to see a bump in sales to mm. a certain degree. And they have like, very large, yeah. yeah, they have yeah. algorithms for tracking this stuff. And they know, like, how to convert, um, you know, uh, awareness to sales.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Well, look, I mean, one of the reasons that we connected is because, you know, one of the things we focused on so heavily with our podcast with now with Gustio has been relying on that belief that there are people who, you know, you can leverage the credibility of somebody else to advance your brand, to build relationships that can open really good doors, to build relationships with mentors, you know, that are going to help you along your journey and ultimately going to allow you to move forward and and help people that are in the position that you were a few years ago and, and help them along the way. So this question, I think I know your answer, but I, we ask everybody that comes on the show, do you believe that who, you know, or what, you know, is more important and why I think they're both important. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if
3: you know everyone, but you don't know anything, then you're not adding value, right? But if you know everything, but you don't know anyone, then you have value that you're not giving to anyone. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. like a yin-yang
2: thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, good answer. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that know everybody and know nothing. <laughs> and there's a lot in the country that know a lot and, uh, and sit and hold on to it. Uh, what what do you think has been most helpful for you? Has it been just that balance or have you seen like, have you seen through relationships? Oh, you have accelerated your learning curve or, um, you know, by learning more, you've gotten access to more people. Like, have you seen one feed the other more? I think so. I mean, I, I don't really track it too much. Like <laughs>
3: I learned this much and now I have this many sure. more contacts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you will gain, you know, your network will grow insofar as your ability to acquire knowledge and uh, disperse that knowledge and add value to those relationships.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great, man. Well, look, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to, I'm going to move us here into our, uh, closing random round, I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions uh, just so our audience can, can get to know you personally a little bit more. First, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Ooh, that's a good question.
3: I think it'd be fun to be like a movie director.
2: Nice. Yeah. That's something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. Uh, it's somewhere, somewhere on the horizon. It'll, it'll happen. Like yeah, that would be director a
3: or producer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you, th- is that something you think you would ever do or venture into? I mean, it's not too, it's not too much off the path of what you, what you do, connecting people and, uh, finding good fits to to wrap what your story is.
3: Yeah. Uh, potentially.
2: Cool. Cool. Well, that's an exclusive announcement. We've got it here first. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, uh, who would it be and why? Ooh,
3: maybe like maybe Gandhi. Hmm.
2: I, and I'm always curious. I always throw in this follow-up question: What would be the first thing that you ask?
3: Well, I have a dream, and he was like in my dream, and I, I like feel like it was actually him, like mm. in the dream. So I would ask him about that: Like, what, what did, what did this dream?
2: Was be? that you? Do you remember this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How do you like to learn best? Is it books, podcasts, videos? What's your, what's your favorite way to consume new information?
3: Uh, I love books. Uh, lately, I mean, it depends if it's like current event kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Then books might be outdated already. Um, yeah. so if I'm trying to like keep up with like the latest trends, right? Then I'll probably go to like Twitter or, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's where the conversation is or like wherever that conversation is, right? Or like articles, like news articles online. Um, but if it's, Stuff that's more, uh, you know, uh, if it's like history or knowledge, that's more evergreen. Like books are great. Uh, love books. I like documentaries. Like mm-hmm. there aren't enough good ones. Like yeah. I'm always like looking like any good doc, like and maybe like once a year, there's a decent one. You yeah. know, a couple of them. Uh, uh, Vice is pretty good, but they're like mini docs. Um, yeah. Like I wish they would do like more like, lo- like longer documentaries. Right. Um, but yeah.
2: Cool, cool. Uh, you mentioned obviously like, and this is something I've dealt with, like, cause I, I do a lot in social media and marketing. Like, obviously podcasting has been something like I'm behind a microphone all day across various different shows. And like you said, it's very hard when you pick up books from even a year ago, because a lot of the information is outdated or the strategy is different. Or, you know, there's something that worked maybe on Instagram two years ago that doesn't work now. Are there any marketing books or branding books that you've read that although some of the principles have changed, like you'd say this book is evergreen. Like the principles in this book have helped me throughout my entire journey.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the war of art is good.
2: Hmm. Interesting. It's a good one. I haven't heard of that one.
3: I mean, getting things done by David Allen. That's great for like productivity.
2: Yeah. That's such a great book. And it's so, it's so meat and potatoes. Like it's, it, <laughs> when, a, when you read it you got to do it in like a little short burst to get a to get through it cuz it's definitely very like granular and, and a little nerdy but it's it's like the best kind. You know, like just the strategies uh-huh. for how to deal with tasks and things like that is, is super valuable. Uh that's a that's a great option. Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. What does that look like for you?
3: When I want to have a good morning routine, so there's a difference, right? Between my right. actual morning routine lately and what and you do. <laughs> what yeah, and like what I would like my dream morning routine looks like. But I think I'm getting back into that dream state. I just uh I've been having to schlep children around to school in the mornings. <laughs> we'll um, do it, yeah. Which which kind of has been throwing a wrench into uh into what I'd like to do, which is like meditate and read and mm-hmm. you know, drink some coffee and like, you know, just kind of like get ready for the day. Try not like I've probably been checking email way too much in the mornings. Yeah. I've probably been yeah, like lots of vices that I've I've been giving into lately um in the mornings. Um like I, I find uh, checking email like too early like as a vice to me because yeah. I don't think it's like healthy.
2: I don't think it's, it's not good. a positive headspace first thing in the morning to go, what do I need well, to you know? Yeah, I've got, I've got a four year old and I was on a show and they asked about morning routine and I was like bro, I survive most mornings. Like she gets up whatever time I plan, she's up like 10 minutes before, you know? And, um, but yeah, lately I've been getting up at like about five and uh, nice. I've never been, never been a morning person. So like five to five 30 is just me, you know, sitting there trying to wake up and then, uh, but it, it's amazing, like how much you can get done in that kind of early time. But I, I came from, being solopreneur like i would just work i'd get done with dinner and then i would start working and i would go to bed at three and you can't do that when you have kids it just changes your whole your whole routine oh yeah. yeah oh yeah what's your go-to pump-up song like what what gets you moving in the morning gets you excited for the day
3: i don't have a particular one it fluctuates like mm-hmm. um i mean it depends like if i if i'm if i want like a workout song like i'm like Ugh! you know like i'll listen to like know, some like edm or something like i go so- if I want to have like something relaxing on, you know, I'll listen to like uh, Alexi Murdoch or something, someone like that.
2: Cool. cool. What is something that you're not very good at?
3: I think I'm not very good at. There's a lot I'm not good at. <laughs> what am I? Let's see. I'm kind of ADD, so if I have hmm. to like con- it, like if I have to concentrate on stuff that I don't like, I'm terrible at that. Gotcha. Horrible at that. But, like I yeah. was that kid in school where like if I didn't like the teacher, if I didn't like the subject. I would not pay attention and I would just be peaced out. Class.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm very similar in that way. Like it's very hard for me to focus and th- and that's even this question, like thinking through it, like whenever someone's like, what are you not good at? I'm like the things I don't do, <laughs> like the things I'm good at. Yeah. I do. I make a part of my life. Like I do those things. And like pretty much everything else I'm not good at, <laughs> like everything outside of my sphere is total free game for everybody else. I'm not um, good
3: at whistling. And I will whistle from time to time. My wife will be like, Ooh, stop it!" <laughs> I'll be like, well,
2: <laughs> you can, you can keep working at it. You'll get, you'll get there for sure. What is the best place for people to connect with you online? If people want to follow your journey, um, obviously also, if they want to follow uh, your work with your company, if they want to find out more, what's the best places for people to find out more about you?
3: Yeah. I mean, check out like, uh, Mark Release website, so markrelee.com. You can go to my my personal website, uh, which I don't update that much, but there are links and you, know, you can read more about me. Um it's hellojustinclein.com. And yeah, and I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but don't message me there. Like if you want to reach me, like just like email me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh LinkedIn's a very interesting place for messages. Um <laughs> I'll help yeah. you grow your brand from like 20 people in a row. But yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh love Markerly, love all the stuff I've been reading up on the company and uh really appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh and have this conversation. So thank you so much.
3: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh really great meeting you, Eric. And uh yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. I'll tell you if you're ever in Austin, let me know.
1: Yeah, absolutely.